I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. Welcome to More Christianity, the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. We talk to converts sometimes. We talk to artists, architects, people who are working in the pro-life cause, people who are involved in life of prayer, clergy, theologians, a whole range of different people in an attempt to share with you our enthusiasm for the Catholic faith and all that it means for our culture and for our lives. Today we're talking about painting. My guest is John Collier, an artist from Texas who's a convert to the faith and also works hard to communicate his faith and the passion for the Catholic faith through his art. Why do we have such a wonderful tradition in the Catholic Church of art? When you go back to the great galleries in Europe, you see all the great painters for the last thousand years who've been producing beautiful works of art which are based in their Catholic faith. Why is this such a wonderful part of our tradition? Well, It's because we take seriously something with which the artist and the author J.R.R. Tolkien called being a sub-creator. You see, humans are created in God's image. And from the very first in the book of Genesis, God is revealed as a creator. He steps out on the formless world and he says, let there be light. As soon as he says, let there be light, everything else flows from that. All of his wonderful creation, he's revealed as a creator of great abundance and, and creativity and beauty. And If we're all created in God's image, it therefore follows that we too are creators, what Tolkien called sub-creators. Therefore, when we make something, whether it's a beautiful painting or a novel or a story or a garden or a family or a church or a stained glass window or anything at all, a beautiful meal for our friends, when we're making something, we're acting out in God's image. We're being fully human. And therefore, it's no mistake that the Catholic Church, which is the fullness of the Christian faith, has down through the centuries given us a great treasure house of architecture, art, literature, music. In all these different ways, our Catholic faith is being expressed. Today, we're talking to John Collier, who's an artist, and he's sharing with us a little bit of his own experience in trying to struggle with canvas, oil, pigments, and a great tradition to produce great Catholic art today. You're listening to More Christianity, and I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. I want to take a moment and remind our listeners about my blog, Standing on My Head. It's called Standing on My Head in reference to a quote by G.K. Chesterton that a scene is very often more clearly seen when it is seen upside down. The gospel turns everything upside down, and so I write about current events, church matters, things in the Church of England, things in the Catholic Church, things in the world generally, and try to stand them on their head so that we have a gospel perspective. So go to my blog, Standing on My Head, and read it every day, bookmark it, and come and visit me there. Have you read my book, Catholicism, Pure and Simple? My friend Joseph Pierce has said this book does for Catholicism what C.S. Lewis did for mere Christianity. What I've tried to do in Catholicism, Pure and Simple is write an introduction to the Catholic faith, beginning with arguments for God and moving right through to Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Church, the sacraments, and to write this in a way which is free of theological jargon and ecclesiastical jargon and footnotes and references to academic books so that anybody can pick it up and have a refresher in their Catholic faith and share the book also with others who need to realize the arguments for God and the arguments for the truth of the Catholic faith. So if you'd like to learn more about Catholicism Pure and Simple, you can look for it on my website, DwightLongenecker.com, 
Just go there, click through, and you can buy a hard copy, and also it's available as an ebook. And now back to more Christianity. Welcome to More Christianity. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker, and this half-hour program is where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. We talk to converts from various different backgrounds, from New Age, atheism, from Protestantism, uh, all who've come into the great family of the Catholic Church. We also explore Catholic culture, art, literature, music, film, history, philosophy. We talk with people who are involved in service opportunities in the community. Sometimes we have a conversation about the supernatural aspects of the faith, all with the intention of exploring the full richness of the Catholic Church, also to meet personalities and to share in the joy and the spirit that we have in the Catholic Church. Today my guest is John Collier. He's an increasingly well-known artist. He's a Catholic and a convert, and he's with us from Plano, Texas. Welcome to More Christianity, John. Thank you very much. I'm pleased that you you wanted to talk to me. Well, I'll tell you where I first came across your work, and that is um, I was searching online for an image of the Annunciation for my blog, and I came across this uh, startling modern portrayal of the Annunciation. Can you tell us a little bit about that painting and how it came about? Well, thank you. Yes, a lot of people have noticed it. If any of your listeners want to see it, they can go online to hillstream.com. It's Mary and Gabriel, a traditional subject for the Annunciation. Uh, Mary is reading a book, that's traditional, but Mary is dressed as a a 20th century schoolgirl. She's in blue, which is traditional for Mary, but she's wearing saddle oxers, which are untied, and she looks about 14 years old, which is possibly uh, the age that Mary was when Gabriel came to her. John, has anybody else said to you that uh, your portrayal of Mary reminds them of Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz? <laughs> no one's mentioned Dorothy, but lots of people have mentioned all kinds of things. They uh-huh. often refer to their own daughters when they see it. Often when we see Catholic art, especially recent Catholic art, the artist is trying to be so careful to make it look like the first century, which is really not possible to do anymore, that it pushes the saint away from us. Mm-hmm. It makes them seem as seem distant. For instance, of course, St. Ignatius Loyola was able to do what he did because, look, he lived in a, a time when that was possible. And, and so it makes it seem as though sainthood or holiness is not for us, it's for somebody else. And so when I painted Mary as a Catholic schoolgirl, someone that you might pass by in the grocery store and not even notice, it was done to make us realize Mary was a human being, and she gave herself entirely to the Lord. And if we do that, it'll be pleasing to the Lord. And when an angel comes to you and says, fear not, be afraid. <laughs> be very afraid, because your life is about to change. So you set this Annunciation scene with a lot of the classic uh, imagery with the lily and the Blessed Virgin in blue and reading a book and the angel Gabriel, uh-huh. but it's set in yeah. suburbia. She's, as you say, an American, 14-year-old American schoolgirl. Uh, and you put it in modern dress. Now, that actually is part of the Catholic tradition as well, isn't it? I'm always struck by oh, the yes. by the um, paintings of, especially the Flemish masters, where they portray biblical scenes like the wedding of Cana in Galilee or the Annunciation, and it'll be a 14th or 15th century Flemish sitting room with a little you know fireplace and a stove, and and the Blessed Virgin is dressed in in medieval Flemish costume. 
or the entire wedding feast of Cana in Galilee. I think there's a famous painting by Jean Van Eyck, which portrays these biblical scenes in the contemporary dress. Is that a connection that you were consciously making? Yes, it is. As you say, all of the things in the painting are actually quite traditional. Uh, the iconography itself is traditional in that it has uh, lilies for her purity, and he's reading a book, which is Isaiah, which says a virgin will conceive, and there's a sealed window which has to do with her perpetual virginity. But there are also traditional things, as you mentioned, which have to do with the history of art. Well, virtually any painting made before the present day, which has to do with the Bible, you'll see that the uh, person portrayed is really in the garb of the, the time of the artist. Sometimes the artist will take an 18th, 17th century uh, garb and then wrap a piece of cloth around it. <laughs> When I teach RCIA, John, um, that's the course for those who are coming into the Catholic Church. I use a lot of paintings in in the PowerPoint slides uh, to also share with them, you know, the richness of Catholic art and the great tradition of of Western culture. And um, I had one RCIA member comment on this and say, well, maybe they just put them in those medieval costumes of of, of their time period because, you know, they, they didn't know what they wore back in the old times, in biblical times. And I said, no, I think they're actually doing something else. And I, I wonder what your opinion is about this. My theory was that they put them in contemporary dress, the, the, the clothing and, and the settings of their time period, to also make a theological point, to say that the Incarnation is now. The Annunciation is now. God is with us now. Emmanuel is, is God with us. This is alive in this present moment. These truths are alive in this present moment. If you have eyes to see, uh, you will see around you that Jesus Christ, through his Holy Spirit, through the Church, it is here and now, right now. It's not just a 2,000-year-old historical story. Am I reading too much into it? Or, or, or no, you... I think that's very true. It mm-hmm. solves several problems. It, it solves that theological problem. How do we present the saints? We need to show the, the viewer that, that he was someone much like me and you, but it also solves a practical problem. I'm an artist. Where can I find a costume that looks like someone who lived so long ago when there was really no one around to paint Mary when Gabe showed up. We don't know what she looked like. We don't know where she was standing. John, I'd like to move on here and talk with you about um, how art played a a part in your conversion to the Catholic faith. You began as an artist, I I presume, in, in your college years. You began to study art. And art must have had a strong influence on you as you were being brought up. Were you brought up in a, in a Protestant home, or were you brought up with no faith at all? I was brought up in a Protestant home. My, my dad's an artist, my mom's an artist, and uh, dad made the living for the family as an artist. Mom stayed home, and, but she kind of put her art on hold while, while uh, we have six kids in the family while they were growing up. I wanted to be like my father when I was a very small child, as kids do, and then I became uh, a little older, and you don't want to be like your father when you're a little older. And then I thought I wanted to be a minister, and I studied that in college. Then I thought I wanted to be an engineer, and I studied that a little while. By the time I decided to be an artist, I didn't have any money left, so I had to (laughs) pick up most of it on my own. As far as how it's affected my life as a Christian, Really, for most of my life, Shirley and I have been part of a little denomination called the Free Methodist Church, and the Free Methodist Church is a wonderful uh, little evangelical denomination that got kicked out of the the broader Methodist Church during the Civil War, partly over slavery, partly over worship style, but anyway, the evangelicals I know were really 
they were the people I knew who were most like Jesus, and so I, I was so attracted to that that I, I wanted to become a Free Methodist. As our life went on, the little Free Methodist church that we were a part of was getting smaller and smaller, and um, Shirley and I kept visiting the, the Episcopal Church here in Dallas, uh, Church of the Incarnation, which is a wonderful, beautiful church, and we would go there on Christmas Eve. And some of the things that were missing in our evangelical upbringing were present there, and that beauty was an important part of of worship. We continued to uh, go there off and on. Finally, we just decided, well, we'll become Episcopalian. And so it was it was really very beautiful. But at that time, there was a priest there at Incarnation who was giving a study on early church fathers, and in particular, the who, people who were called the Apostolic Fathers, who were people who lived at the time, near the time of the apostles. So I started studying and realized that these people sound like Catholics. Exactly. So when you read the early church fathers, you find that they have all these Catholic views, and you're wondering, well, where were the Protestants back then? And and, and it's difficult (laughs) to find them. So, John, at this situation in your pilgrimage, being brought up as an evangelical, uh, free Methodist church for a while, and now you're attracted to the to the Anglican Church because of its beauty. You're reading the early church fathers, and that's making you interested in the Catholic Church. What about the great artistic history of the Catholic Church? Was that an attraction to you? Well, it was. Whenever an evangelical holds up a painting which has to do with the Christian faith, he's really holding up a a Catholic painting Mm -hmm. because that painting was probably made for a church commissioned by a Catholic, paid for by a Catholic, and put in a Catholic church. The attraction I had to the Catholic Church at first really was an attraction for what I perceived as Catholic art and music, because I had experienced it in the Anglican Church and just listened to it on my own on a, in a, you know, on a CD or something. We were all ready to become Catholic, so we, we thought, we need to find a, a parish that we could go to. So we started looking around, trying to think of where would we actually go to church, and we were so used to Anglican beauty that when we, I hate to say it this way, but when we went to some of the parishes that we went to, it was as if the Catholic Church had forgotten its heritage. Right, so you went to a Catholic Church, and to put it bluntly, you you were used to beautiful music, beautiful architecture, beautiful stained glass windows, and yeah. uh, and you went to the Catholic Church, and you found maybe a a big concrete spaceship type structure with, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with that's with, right. Or as someone says here, a slip and slide baptismal font. Now that sounds like I'm being really you know condemnatory, but I'm trying to express with, to our listeners here that here's a man who's an artist who comes from a family of artists, and his life is invested in beauty and in art. And your impression, John Collier, when you came to the Catholic Church, you were not impressed with what you found. Is that what you're saying? Well, that's true. I was impressed with the sincerity of the priests. There are many good things about it, the truth of the Catholic faith. Of course. Of course, Mm -hmm. a a big draw. But finally, after going for probably a year to a Catholic church trying to decide what to do, we we would leave the church in tears, not for joy, but for sadness that so much of the the ancient beauty of the church had vanished and... Mm -hmm. As one priest, a Catholic priest I heard say, uh, people are just discovering what we have just as we abandoned it. So you went to the Catholic Church, and as an artist, uh, coming from a family of artists and imbued in the Anglican tradition with its beauty of architecture and music and liturgy and so forth, you, you were kind of disappointed. 
I, I was. Uh, my wife and I were both disappointed, and it makes me feel shallow to talk about it this way, but we uh, we finally went back to the Episcopal Church that we had gone to. We loved the people there. We, we loved the beauty of the service, mm-hmm. and we didn't leave feeling disappointed. You felt that the Catholic Church had abandoned some of its rich heritage. Is this, do you think, a bigger problem with American culture that we have lost our way artistically, that we're, we've lost our way in, in terms of architecture and beauty, that we, we want it to be beautiful, we, we don't know how to do that? Is, do you think that's part of our problem? Yes, I think it is. There are two things, at least two things, affecting this. One is the general lack of education among Americans in the broader culture. Mm-hmm. Most Americans know music from the radio. They know art from a magazine. They don't know some of the most wonderful art that has been created by the church or, or just about civilization in general. And so there's that. That's that's a problem. So you have a, a poor uh, music director of a church trying to communicate something to a group of people that have a hard time understanding it. How can you sing Palestrina for a group of people that have never heard Palestrina? So you're saying that the first part of the problem is that it's educational. People have not been given the ears to hear beautiful music or the eyes to see beautiful art. They don't understand it, and they can't compute even why it's important. Is that what you're saying? Yes, Mm -hmm. that's right. What's your second point? The second point is on the artistic side of of the broader culture. How do artists study today? What Mm -hmm. do they study? One of the things that the broader art community is suspicious of is narrative painting and sculpture. A painting or a sculpture which tells a story. Which tells a story, which is realistic, like your Annunciation tells a story. Mm -hmm. That's right. Things are changing a bit now, but when I was trained a few years ago, the color field, uh, abstract expressionists were in the ascendancy. Art was really about only the fundamentals of art, that is, line and color and texture and... Emotion. Not even emotion, necessarily. It led to emotion, one hoped, but it was really about the fundamentals. For instance, Picasso would say line alone can be moving, or Mark Rothko would say color alone can be moving. Yes. And so those are true things. But the problem is when you train a bunch of artists to accept this idea and to put away storytelling as something from the past. And you want to hire these artists to come into the church and do something for us. Well, first of all, they don't know the heritage of the church. They don't know how to communicate. For instance, if you wanted to paint, do a painting of the Annunciation, and you didn't know how to draw because drawing was considered unimportant at the time. For instance, an artist might say, I'm going to take blue because blue is Mary's color, and I'm going to take red because red is Jesus' color, and I'll make a painting which has nothing but blue and red in it. And so they do an abstract painting uh, with with lots of swirls of colors and call it the Annunciation, but it doesn't really tell the story. It's not very useful. So you have these two problems here. One is that the modern American population is uneducated about art, and... The other problem is that the artists who are educated about art have been educated in a different kind of tradition, um, and this applies, I suppose, also to music and architecture and so forth. There's yeah. a disconnect. You're saying we're trying to produce Catholic art or Catholic architecture within an educational background and within a culture which doesn't understand it. It doesn't have the language or the tools to do that. That's right. Uh huh. And so you're struggling in the midst of all this to produce Catholic art, which is... <laughs> representational, that actually tells a story, has a picture that, to use ordinary language, looks realistic. And 
Are you finding that some churches and some pastors are actually commissioning you to come and produce altarpieces and sculptures and so forth, which do actually maintain and and continue the great tradition? Well, I am very encouraged by that. I've uh, done, oh dear, a number of churches. St. Bartholomew's in Wayzata, Minnesota, a suburb of Minneapolis, has several of my pieces, just installed a holy family there. I had done a, a large painting for St. Peter's in Charlotte, North Carolina, about mm-hmm. the repentance of St. Peter. Well, there are a number of pieces around. It's taking a while for people to understand that art can still be commissioned by the church. You don't have to buy a piece from a factory, mm-hmm. which is usually a rather bland piece. Uh, and you don't have to hire your cousin's aunt's nephew who once studied art. I think this is one of the other problems, John, is that in our committees to build new churches and create new churches, there's a kind of tyranny of democratic ideas in which a committee of sincere and well-meaning lay people are put together to build a church, but very often the pastor himself uh, has not had any training in art or architecture or the sacred space or liturgical space, and certainly the people don't. And so you tend sometimes to get a collection of people who are sitting around a table saying, well, gee, Edith, what do you like? And she says, well, I really like so-and-so. And and Harry says, I always like such-and-such. And, you know, it's just a grab bag of uninformed but sincere opinions the pastor himself sometimes doesn't have the, the know-how or the, or the skill to be able to di- direct the program, and you end up, therefore, with a church built by a committee, which doesn't please anybody. I hope I'm not too harsh, but this is the experience that I've heard from people. Yeah, that happens a lot, although mm-hmm. I have to say I haven't experienced it with my art. I think that that does happen, but those people never come to me. The priests that I've worked with have been very interested, if not always knowledgeable, but Mm -hmm. often knowledgeable and interested. For instance, the co-cathedral in Charleston, West Virginia, the pastor realized that uh, no one in my church knows much about art, and I'm not completely educated, so he asked the museum director of in the town, he asks a couple of people from the church that were knowledgeable, and that committee was a very qualified committee. John, thank you for being my guest today on More Christianity. Uh, we've learned a lot about art, and we've learned a lot about our Catholic traditions and some of the places where we could do do better in the Catholic Church. You left our, your story where you went back to the Episcopal Church because uh-huh. of your disappointment in the Catholic Church and, and the worship and yeah. liturgy and architecture. Have you found your way back to the Catholic Church now? Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I needed to complete my story. I uh, we finally went to St. Joseph's here in uh, Richardson, Texas, and went through RCIA and met lots of faithful Catholics who I hadn't known they exist because I hadn't met many Catholics. We're still at St. Joseph's and uh, helping out in RCIA when we can. Mm-hmm. I taught confirmation kids, the 14-year-olds there. This is Father Dwight Longenecker. You're listening to More Christianity, which is the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. My guest today is Catholic artist John Collier. He's had commissions for a number of our new churches around the country. He's painting within the great tradition, and he's been talking about the relationship between imagery and Christianity and the importance of art in our churches. One of the other things that we find in our world today, John, is the prevalence of the image, the moving images in movies, images on our screen the whole time. We're besieged with images on billboards and advertising and television and in movies, online and websites. One of the uh, things that uh, a lot of people are dealing with all the time is the, the kind of imagery which is titillating, the kind of imagery which is stimulating sexually. 
I'm talking about pornography or immodest portrayals of beautiful women in advertising and, and so forth. Of course, we condemn that and say that's bad. It's degrading to the people involved and so forth. But at the same time, within Western art, there has been a tradition of painting the nude. Are we to look at those images from several hundred years ago and say, gee, that's just old-fashioned pornography? There are licentious images from that period, but for the most part, pornography is an attempt to take truth and goodness away from beauty. When you paint the body of a woman, uh, if you take truth away from it, if you take goodness away from it, you wind up with a perverted form of beauty. We often do similar things when we try to portray truth in the Catholic Church and we take it out of the context of beauty and goodness. Mm-hmm. Or we say something about goodness, but we get rid of truth. We wind up with just sentimentality. All of those things have to be kept together by the Christian artist, by the Catholic artist. It's almost like a little holy trinity of uh, that's right. beauty, truth, and goodness, which which have to be totally unified and go together. This is fascinating. So... You're saying that pornography is trying to portray trying to portray beauty, beauty without, without goodness or truth. Without goodness and truth. Interesting. Yeah. You wind up either with pornography or with, with bad art, usually. Yes. So you end and, up with kitsch or bad yeah, art. that's right. Or you end that's up with right. pornography. How do you then justify, say, a painting by Titian or Raphael of a naked lady? Taking a particular one that I have often thought about, there's a painting by Rembrandt of... Bathsheba reading a letter from King David, and she's trying to decide what she should do. Should she go to the king? Should she stay there? If you compare that to uh, Centerfold and Playboy, you can see the difference. The Rembrandt painting is not just about a beautiful woman. It's not just about line, form, color, and all of those things that artists artists are interested in. It's not just about history, although it's historical. It's about our relationship with God. How do we act when we get a letter from the king who wants to do something that is evil? How do we react to evil? Right. So Uh, the the nakedness of Bathsheba in Rembrandt's painting is secondary to the context and the story that's being told and the emotions that are being evoked. And the nakedness of Bathsheba actually portrays all of that and gathers you up into the moment and the emotion of that moment in a very different way than, say, the nakedness of a Playboy bunny. That's right. Uh That's right. You wouldn't be able to tell a story without Bathsheba being naked. Rather than being licentious, Rembrandt says more about her vulnerability than it does about her... Eroticism. uh, Yeah, Mm -hmm. eroticism. That's right. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. You've been listening today to More Christianity, the program where we explore the fullness of the Christian faith in the Catholic Church. My guest today has been a fascinating guest, artist John Collier, who's based in Plano, Texas. He's a contemporary Catholic artist, taking commissions for churches and new buildings and schools and universities. He's a fantastic artist. You can check out his work at hillstream.com. John Collier, an artist, you can check out his work at hillstream.com and be in touch with him. John, thank you so much for being our guest today. You're very welcome.